0: Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today, we're going to explore failure.
1: (laughs) Which sounds awful, but I'm actually really excited about
0: this. This is an interesting topic. And it comes to us from George. Thanks, George. And his question was, what support systems or strategies do you have in place to deal with failure? Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Which is not the question I want to answer at all. I want to talk about failure. Yeah. So
0: this, but this was, this was what triggered it. And, uh, you know, Rochelle, I know you've been thinking about it ever since we got it. So.
1: Yeah. was Uh, a great question. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Same here. Well, what, what have you been thinking about or where should we start with this? Because I I mean, I I have to admit, I never think about this and I, and I think, I suspect the reason is because I don't see failure as a bad thing. Cause we're talking about like, I mean, catastrophic failure is one thing, like completely Mm -hmm. going out of business, having to sell your house, having to tell your kids that you're moving like, you know, that's that I would not deal well with that. Um. So that's one thing, but I, I don't feel like that's the, I mean, if someone is, if someone, if the question is, what systems do you have in place to deal with it? That sounds like um, common, like a common regular kind of failure that happens like monthly or weekly where something wasn't perfect or some launch didn't go as well as you wanted. It, f- it feels like a non-catastrophic failure to me if you if mm-hmm. you can even have systems to deal with it. But I mean, that was kind of my take on it. And, you know, I, my Philosophy for years has always been everything is practiced for the next time, and and that comes from uh, a performing arts background. It, it's the more we do this show, the more I realize that like going to music school actually was genius, yeah. even though it felt like it was a complete waste of money at the time.
1: Well, in um, busking, you did busking. Yeah. I think that that was a great, um,
0: yeah.
1: you know, experiment.
0: Yeah, and my first job ever was a barker at a carnival. Like
1: <laughs> you were a carny barker. Oh my god, well, that's hysterical! Exactly
0: Carney, it wasn't a traveling show, but you know, yeah, when I was like underage and everything. It was like it was very. There were carnies there, but I wasn't really one. But yeah, so you know, to me, it was always like it was, it's always like um, yeah, it's just practice. Everything's just practice. Like to me, to me, you know, barring catastrophic failure, if we're talking about like the kind of thing that might happen monthly or weekly. To me, it's more like um, if you keep making the same mistake, then that's that is that would embarrass me, or I would feel bad about that. But just don't do that. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> just see everything as practice. What did I learn from that? And like, how am I gonna how am I gonna try it next time? It's almost like I see I see my business as an experiment, honestly. Mm-hmm. So it's supposed, yeah, supposed they all to be, are right. It's supposed to be learning opportunities, and and I think my viewpoint on it makes it really hard for me to even think about this. But I do have I do have certainly low points that we can talk about. But um, but you know what what did it trigger for you when you th- heard this question?
1: Well, I for some reason I don't remember hearing the details about the question. I, w- what I remembered seeing in our Slack channel was you know failure. Why don't more people talk about this? Mm-hmm. And for some reason that lodged in my brain. And after a couple of days, I I had this like oh um. I had something in in my past that was a, for me felt like a huge failure it, it was it was just it was a failure. Mm. I totally forgot about it <laughs> and the reason I forgot about it it isn't just because a number of years had passed but because I rewrote the script. Mm-hmm. On the failure, not right away. I think that's part of what we should talk about is I think when you have a big failure or one that feels big to you, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It's whether it feels big to you Mm -hmm. is that, you know, it's like Kubler Ross's stages of, of grief, right? Mm -hmm. It's, you've got to go through that experience of feeling, you know, the pain and feeling the crap and all that. And then you come out the other side. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, one of the things I really noticed with my, with my clients is that when we do the deep dive at the beginning, everybody's had, whether you want to call it failure or deep pain of some kind, everybody's had it. And what happens is some people turn that into a script. And so, or they, or they look at it and they can't see the greatness that came from that horrible experience. And a lot of times those experiences had nothing to do with them. It was external forces that impacted them. Right. So it's, yeah, I feel like um, sometimes we just have to get out of our own way on on looking back at something bad that happened. And I'm not doing this like, you know, as a therapist. I'm just saying in terms of how you think about that and use it into your next step, your next venture, your next life, you know, whatever that is. That's mm-hmm. what really matters. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Like a post mortem where you change the self talk like once you're out of the out of the intense emotion phase, you know it's like well what what there had to be a silver lining if you didn't learn anything, okay, maybe there's no silver lining, but there's there is you know you had to lay off employees, you had to sell your house something mm-hmm. you know assuming that even to me those those would be like fairly catastrophic failures for me that that would feel that would feel really that would be embarrassing like like if i had if if i was like okay kids we have to move how can we have to move oh because uh yeah I was <laughs> terrible at business or something you know or, or because i did something idiotic publicly and now i'm canceled or something right um whatever whatever the the reason would be that would be pretty embarrassing um and it would probably take a long time for me to be like okay what <laughs> what did i learn uh i definitely admit that for sure uh, well, well, there's, there's a- also a
1: difference between public and private. You know, like I'm thinking mm-hmm. the only example that came to mind for some reason was Billy Bush when he did his horrible thing with with Trump on the yeah. bus. Yeah. And I mean, you know, he was never my favorite person to begin with, but boy, did he take a beating and mm-hmm. eventually he came back. But I remembered thinking, how do you go home to your wife and kids? Mm-hmm. After that, after it had a public career, you know, how do you do that? Most of our failures are not nearly so public as they feel to us. Yes.
0: Great point. Yes. Everyone knows I'm a failure. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, that reminds me of a, a note I have here. that seems a good enough time to bring it up. Uh, I think it was a blog post from Seth Godin. Don't quote me on that. But I, I think it was where he talks about failure and says, uh, you know, when you... When your business fails and you think he's like, why do you, why do people think I'm a failure if your business didn't succeed or your book flopped?" Mm-hmm. He's like, when you, when you break your arm, you don't think I'm a broken arm. You think <laughs> I, I have a broken arm. It's like your project failed. You are not a bad person. You are not a failure. You it's not, it, there's no obvious re- there's no obvious reason why you would sort of per- personify the failure and the the flip side of this, that to me is really scary, and I see this all the time with people who are terrified to take really small calculated risks, uh, is that is that they will feel like it was a what? Sorry, I don't know exactly how they feel, but they act like they they act like it's a big deal. To like change a headline on your website or something mm-hmm. and and then when you talk them through like what's the worst thing that could possibly happen and and you kind of like go over like what is actually at risk here it's usually like nothing um or it's it's them feeling like um them judging themselves so this one so mm. the, the, not so much in yeah. the headline but more with like when i'm doing a like five-day podcast challenge people are like the perfectionism thing comes up and they don't want it to be um they don't want to say anything that is gonna ruffle too many feathers and that kind of thing and then (laughs) when you really talk through it it's like how many people do you think are gonna listen to this and they're like probably no one and i'm like so who's gonna judge it who's gonna come after you and they're like well probably just it's probably just me thinking it's not good enough or something like that which is a different topic from failure but yes um If you, let's say you did launch that podcast and nobody listened, it's like, okay, make it better, (laughs) you know, or, or you launch a book and you put all this work into it and, and just, just crickets, then it's like, make it better, make another one, redo the marketing, relaunch it. It's, it's just a, you know, it's just a data point. I don't know. I just see it as a data point.
1: Well, what's funny is, you know, we've all seen these, these people who are out there, you know, online and they're saying, they tell you this tale of woe this was me I was a half a million dollars in debt and I was living in my van and yeah. then I figured out the secret of life and now I'm gonna teach it to you too you <laughs> know so there's that like sort of rags to riches story right. but you know another way to think about it and, and I I don't love those stories unless it's you know uh, unless they've got some expertise around it like they've built actual expertise beyond just their own situation right. but when you think about it that way it's there's you can use these failures as part of your story. And there will be ones that you'd rather not talk about, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But there are ones that you can really use to help teach your audience. And and it gives them empathy for you that it hasn't been this, you know, meteoric perfect rise in your business, in your life.
0: Yeah, that's a good silver lining for a failure. It's like, oh, I can talk about this, you know, and yeah. not be like Mr. Perfect or Mrs. Perfect and just be like, huh, okay. And then like- what did i learn you know what came out of it what happened next how did i respond and that honestly that's another thing that another thing personality-wise with me that is long-standing i've never like until recently until i heard about it recently i didn't realize that there was such a thing as stoic philosophy but when i recently found out about it i'm like "Hmm, this is how i think (laughs) oh there's a name for the way i am and and it has everything to do with the, the key, and you know I'm not like a stoic expert or whatever it's called, is it religion philosophy. I don't know. stoicism it's a philosophy. philosophy, I guess, right? So uh, the thing that uh, the thing that's always been big with me, and I think I got this from martial arts as a little kid, is you know is, is about actions, not words. you know don't listen to what someone says, watch what they do and mm-hmm. and, and uh, what I feel like the other side of that coin is that, you know, you can't control what happens. You can control almost nothing except for the, the thing that you can control is how you react to what happens to you. Yes. So I'm like, oh, that's the thing I control. So I'm going to ch- control that to the extent that I can. So fail you know, and failure being one of those things. But success could be one of those things too. Yeah, it
1: goes where, both ways.
0: Right. How am I going to react to this? How am mm-hmm. I going to behave? And, and not even just talk about it, but how am I going to behave in response to this uh input call it whether it's positive or negative and uh yeah i don't know so if i i guess if i had like a if i had like a long term i i feel like that you know to the original question asker i feel like that's my air quotes support system cheerleaders do nothing for me oh i've got a good failure i've got a good failure it was on the (laughs) show
1: oh oh me 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 yeah yeah.
0: the priya (laughs) episode the Priya episode where I screwed up the recording.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, and and yeah. your first inclination was to go public with it.
0: Oh, I can't Right. Yeah, there yeah.
1: was no, and I was sitting there going, "Really, you want to talk about this?" Yeah. and you were you were very clear about being transparent about the boo boo.
0: Right. I and mean, but here's the other thing, like you know, Rochelle very nicely behind the scenes told me a million times, it's just you know it's no big deal. It's just, it just doesn't matter. You could you could say that I will not. That will never work on me. I know <laughs> like, nothing
1: was going to make you feel better.
0: Right. And I'm starting, time has started to make that feel less bad, but, um, uh, and, and what did we do? What did we do after that? We changed our behavior, didn't we?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: yep. We set up a checklist and we run it before every show, even if we don't have guests on. And it was a learning experience. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: An ugly one, but yeah. a learning experience. Aren't yes, they all? Yes, nonetheless. Yeah.
0: So anyway, so I think that, this feels like advice that's not useful to me because I feel like I'm saying, well, be like be like this. <laughs> it's like Well, saying, it's I, like, I want
1: to come back to this idea and maybe it's because of the strategy work that I do with clients, but what we're always doing is we're trying to tell this somewhat coherent story that's simple, that kind of makes sense about what someone's motivation is to help their clients. Um, and what's... I
0: untangle that for me.
1: Okay, so... I believe, and this is part of, you know, my personal philosophy is that our stories have value. And so what, when I'm working with a client strategy, uh, or in coaching, usually what part of what we're trying to do is take a thread from that person's life, and it might be a segment of their life, but usually it's the ch- big chunk of their work life with maybe something from growing up. Yep. And we're trying to put that in service to the big idea.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah so, I'm tracking now. Yeah.
1: yeah. so, so everybody's got a story. The hard part is figuring out how to tell it. Like, what are the pieces that match up? Okay. So I'll, I'll just, I'll give you, I'll give you my own example because I don't want to talk about client stories in that because there's too much you know, personal stuff. Yeah. But so the, the, the failure that I forgot was when I was at a big firm, um, back in those days, um, they didn't have women in office management roles. And I'm talking about like administrative, those were the power jobs at the time. And they had just put a woman in one of those jobs like a year before. And I wanted one of those jobs. I really, really wanted them. But I was in Chicago, which was a big market. I wasn't ready for Chicago. There was no way I would be on on even a long list for Chicago. So I started a satellite office in Indianapolis and eventually started working with Cincinnati, which was a much smaller market, and doing a big merger between an Indianapolis company and a Cincinnati company. So, I got to know the people there. Meanwhile, I'm talking to my boss who runs the region. He knows what I want to do and he's like, okay, you play your cards right, you can run Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yes. I was ready. So I spent a year and a half of my life proving that I could do this. And what I didn't know was there was a a woman I worked a lot with in Cincinnati, and he told her the same thing. Oh. Yeah. And But she was already in Cincinnati, right? I mean, she would do a great job. I thought I would do a great job, but neither of us understood what was happening. So ultimately, I didn't get that job. And it felt so public to me when she was named. And at first, I was kind of mad at her. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. But then I realized, you know, and I I found out that my boss had, and this wasn't the first time he'd done this. I'd, I'd known him a long time, is he manipulated us both. And I thought, he played, he played me. And he played her to get what he wanted. And there was no... It was a win-win for him because either way, he put a woman in the role and Mm. he'd get, you know, kudos for that. So I just looked at all that and I just had the dirtiest taste in my mouth. And I went, oh my God. So first of all, I... Like, did anybody else know I was up for it? Yeah. Maybe a half a dozen people. I don't think anybody else cared. But to me... (laughs) oh my god to me it was like public humiliation Mm. and so i just remembered that and and it was the but what bothered me more was that behind the scenes playing people off each other Yeah, and i knew that that happened in the firm i knew that he did it i knew it was condoned and more than condoned it was rewarded and i i said to myself i'm not ever going to put myself in that position again. And so it took a while I was figuring out what to do next and and then I left to start my my first firm. And it's
0: so fascinating. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, but but my point is I forgot this. Yeah. I honestly I don't think about it anymore and and I tell I don't tell the story because that's not the story. To me the story was I got sick of the big firm and all the machinations. I think the way I've told the story is I pulled up my big girl panties, you know, and, and left, you know, I had the corner office. I had the great window. I mean, I had all this stuff and I was young and I had all this stuff and I left, but that was, that was, you know, that was behind the scenes. The reason why. So, so for me, if you were to put those little pieces of story together. I didn't want to work for somebody else. And I finally did work one more time. I worked for some... Well, I guess Anderson, you could count that, but I I sold my firm to them, so it was a little different. different. But I had one final job job and the end was sort of similar where... I in this case I did a big big thing. I saved millions and millions of dollars. Mm. And at the end they decided to bring back the guy who messed it up. Right? Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, "Really?" And that and that was it. I mean, that I just closed the door and for me that was the same story. It was, "Oh, okay, so you let somebody else decide your future." No. We're right. not doing that ever again. So I just use that as an example. So if I were going out and like marketing myself as, a, as um, in a certain way, I might tell both of those stories in different ways. Mm-hmm. But they, all, everybody has these breadcrumbs. And what you have to do is kind of look at, at your story and kind of figure that out and then put the failures, whether that's a big F or a little F, put them in service not just to your story, but to the change you're trying to make in the world.
0: Right. Yeah, it's fascinating because as you told that story, it doesn't like it. I think it's fascinating that you perceived it as a big public, embarrassing, I know. Like, bad failure. And I'm like, <laughs> it doesn't even sound like a failure to me. I oh, it categor- felt
1: so bad. Yeah, that's my oh, point. Oh, it was
0: horrible. That's my point. Like, it felt like a failure, but. Like if you told that story, like failure isn't one of the words I would include in the, if I was going to summarize it, like, you know, for a little movie blurb or something of like, like the movie of that period of your life, it wouldn't include failure. It would be, I a hundred percent see it as a diff, you know, a different, in a different light. And as you were talking through that, you're like, oh yeah, I have stories like that too, but I'd never think of them as a failure. So it was like, uh, like a similar story, like my one and only corporate job. If I wanted to reframe that situation as a series of failures, uh, it would be, you know, I, what, in my mind, what happened was I was doing, uh, I was doing more than I was asked, but I thought mm-hmm. I was doing amazing stuff, but no one was asking me to do it. I was taking it upon myself to build a whole bunch of really cool, like automation systems. Uh, so some were asked for, but I was definitely gold plating it. Software developers know what I mean? <laughs> and you know, going through, going up way above and beyond, working, like, long hours and stuff. And then and then, uh, feeling undervalued and negotiate, which is my own fault for working more than they wanted me to. Like, I mm-hmm. could have just done less and been, like, just played Unreal all day and, and had my work done in an hour in the morning. <laughs> so... <laughs> It was it was a really easy job. It was I had lot, lots of not knocking anybody there. I absolutely I have tons of friends from that job. It was great, but the corporate culture is just not my jam. I'm an outdoor cat, so the the if I, and and then so I was like okay, I want to raise and was negotiating with someone like two levels above me because the amount of money I wanted was like over my boss's head, basically. Oh, God. And it wasn't, we're not talking astronomical dollars here. I mean... No, I was, but it's
1: corporate. You know, you've got a budget you, that happen. you're authorized for. Not yeah. going to happen.
0: Right. No, no way that's going to happen. And, but they did kind of lead me on. They didn't tell me there's no way it's going to happen, even though everybody in the room knew except for me that there was no way it was going to happen. And, and then it didn't happen. So then I got all pissy and, and went on to a much better life. Like it doesn't, it, <laughs> if I was going to look at it as failures, it would be like, oh, I shouldn't have worked so hard for nothing. And uh, oh, I should have been, done a better job negotiating or oh, I shouldn't have been so stupid. Or I should have talked I should have, I should have, should have, should have, should have, should have. And it's like, well, whatever. I didn't. But what did I learn from it? I learned similar to you. I'm not working in this environment again. I would, I can't, I just cannot operate in this space. And, uh, you know, went and worked at a small firm. It was great. Absolutely great. Did that for two or three years. Worked my way up. Went solo. It was great. So, you know, could I frame that as a failure? Could I be, Should could I like carry these grievances forward? Sure, I could.
1: That's, that's the thing though. That's the thing. And I think that's what, I think part of this is the definition of failure. Mm-hmm. And I've met a lot of people that are carrying around some, failure that is way bigger in their eyes than in somebody else's. And a lot of it is around job loss, you know, because uh, they didn't get this job or they were fired, quote unquote, and usually firing is actually, they were laid off. They weren't Mm -hmm. really fired. It wasn't personal. It was, you know, corporate cost cutting or whatever. No, you know, and, and so it's just, it's about framing that. And then the other thing that was part of your story is, um, I imagine you did a little bit of an autopsy, and whether you do that right away or you wait until the feelings sort of morph, I think that's a really good response to, um, to anything that you think of as a failure is doing the, the autopsy. So, what happened? Who was involved? What did I do? Are there things I wish I'd done differently? Because sometimes you did everything the way that you wanted to, whether it was right or wrong is immaterial, you made choices that made sense to you at the time right. with the information you had. And then, you know, it just didn't work out. Right. And it's hard to feel that when you're in the throes of, oh my god, I just, I just got fired. I uh, like, do I have enough severance? What's going to happen? What am I going to tell my my spouse? What am I going to tell my kids? Can I right. still afford the mortgage? You know, all those things. Mm-hmm. And you know, and there's a lot of people feel shame around that. I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. I think it's. A lot less now because you know everybody's been laid off at least once, and if you haven't, your time is coming, right? Yeah, right. At some point, you I know, mean, unless you're in business, and then unless you know you have a, business. Yeah. yeah, then you have a whole different different set of challenges.
0: Yeah, and so the the thing that you know, I can I can think of people just like in my circles, not necessarily business. I'm, I'm thinking like even extended family and stuff like that who, you know, in past downturns, because, like, you know, I don't know, what have we been through, like three recessions or four recessions in our lives? So, like, I, it's, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like a cycle or something. But, uh, yeah, I anyway, think. Um, I can think back to... COVID's a weird one, so, like, maybe the one before that, where I knew people who... Um, they they embraced that I am a failure vibe, where they, they were maybe almost approaching what you would consider to be a retirement age, get laid off, and then, you know, and and maybe it was unjust, maybe it wasn't, I don't even know the details, but clearly the person reacted in a way where they were going to – they were stuck on it. They were stuck there. Yeah. stuck in that anger. Angry. Yeah, and then unemployed for, like, 18 months. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, someone who – yeah, whatever. I'm not even judging it, but clearly – uh, through conversations with you know like some people it's just too too big to get over and yeah. and it turns into this I am a failure thing and a loss of confidence which then just spirals into this sort of negative
1: uh-huh. You, know, like you don't
0: want to go into a job interview being feeling like a failure, complaining about your last boss and how unfair they were and how you're thinking about suing them. And it's like, hey, but can I have a job while I'm here? You know, it's like It's yeah. a really bad smell to give off.
1: Oh, I, I interviewed a guy once who was probably early 50s and had been let go. And he actually cried in my interview. Mm. And, oh, my heart went out to him. But, you know, he just wasn't ready. Not ready. You know, and that's—I mean—that's basically what I said to him. But he was so embarrassed, mm. and I'm like, "You're just not ready yet. You need to go really work this through, and then come back." Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's—it's yeah, a—it's a, it's a weird thing, and that anger or or disappointment—it doesn't have to be anger. It can like be turned inward, which is like depression. Um, yeah, exactly. But it's yeah. it, it it leaches out into everything that you do, and so right. sometimes you're just not aware of it. But it's. Yep. It's there, so that's why
0: pollute your worldview.
1: Yeah, and I don't want to sound like a therapist, but that is why you go through those things. And you know, one of the things I can't remember if I've ever said this on the show. One of the things I used to do when I was um, dealing with mostly uh, corporate clients is that there was this thing that would happen, and and they were. Usually men, because that's who had those jobs at the time and they'd be heads of HR. So they're VP of HR and their firm would merge with somebody else or buy somebody else and they were out of a job. Well, there's only so many VP of HR jobs if you don't want to move in any city, Right. right? And so if they didn't land right away, it would take a while. But anyway, so what I would do is I would call them the second I heard that they were Gone, and I knew they wouldn't want to talk to me. I just leave them a message and say, you know, I'm here when you want to talk. But what was fascinating is the stories that would come out. Like there were, and I I felt such empathy for them. I mean, there were the ones that like got right back and went uh, were really resilient. I guess is what I would call them. Yeah, they they worked it through. That's the
0: word. Yeah,
1: and they kind of went on. And then there were people that had a lousy support system. I mean, I remember uh, one guy who his wife had never worked and she was in a panic he was actually okay mm-hmm. but she was in a panic she's like oh my god our daughter's getting ready to start college where are we going to get the money what's yeah. going to happen to us and every time he had an interview this poor man his wife's like okay this is what you got to do oh. and you know and because you know she had she limited was options panicking. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's what gave me insight into sometimes how the the breadwinner experience is different than the non-breadwinner experience. I won't put it on gender, but it's just right. whoever's out there bringing home the the, the bacon or yeah, bread, whatever it is they're bringing home.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's the kind of a theme, isn't it? Because Yeah. when um so I've been through, you know, when I was well I the thing that makes me feel exposed to to let's call it embarrassing failure or tough to recover from failure or like like the, the kind of failure that really knocks me down uh, is when I screw up and it screws up somebody else's life. That's the kind that really mm. bothers me because I feel like I can yeah. deal with pretty much anything. I mean, obviously, I can't deal with anything like health problems or things can happen that would be really hard to deal with. But in general, in business terms, like the kind of stuff that's going to happen, I, I can deal with it like it's fine it'll be fine but when it mm-hmm. when it when it spills over onto employees for example yeah. that keeps me up nights and, mm, how many employees do i have zero so i don't expose myself to that kind of a risk <sighs> yeah for that exact reason because i've been, i've managed i never i never personally hired a bunch of employees but i managed a bunch of employees and i worried about it like i
1: oh yeah
0: it, it weighs on me it, I, I don't i don't separate well like I'm not one of those people. Actually,
1: I, I think it's a good thing that you worry about them. I mean, it's not not in a like a paternal, overly protective way. No, but
0: but, but if somebody's having like even if they were having like marriage trouble or something, I would be, I'd be like, I would have like an echo of the reaction. It was. Um, it was fine, I think it I, I think it's good to have that kind of empathy, but it was it was just too much for me to deal with like if you if you multiply that by 10 all those people,
1: feelings
0: yeah it's too many feelings <laughs> <laughs> it's totally true it sounds stupid, but it's true it's too many feelings for me to handle well, so.
1: but everybody that's I, I mean I think you've got great insight right and and that's I think everybody's different and you got to think about it it's mm. I mean when, when in my last job job I put together a consulting unit and I recruited two people in particular to lead practices and they had, you know, a very high salary level and the first thing that was that was done when they told me, Okay, you're gone is you need to let all those people go.
0: Mm.
1: And 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 I'm like, Oh my God And I remember the president of the company, CEO said, Well, I'll do it. I said, No, I'll do it. I wasn't going to let them hear it from him, but it was, I, I, if I, if I allow myself to think about it now, I still feel guilt. They both came out okay, Mm -hmm. but not right away. And boy, did I feel the guilt. And I think I should have, I mean, Mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, it it didn't overwhelm me. It wasn't like I couldn't function, but it, it made me help them. Right. (laughs) and do things for them to help them you know get settled and and come out but oh it's so i i just think if you're going to be responsible for a piece of somebody's lives that you've got to think about it carefully
0: yeah i take it super seriously and maybe well it's super seriously enough for me to be like yeah that's too much and and now and that's to me that was like the big um decision with having kids right so like my kids are still pretty small um, and you know, my my wife was in the professional world. She was making more money than me for a while. Like she she would do just fine. She's a million things she could <laughs> do to make money. Um, so she, I, I wouldn't wouldn't really worry about her if something happened to me. But obviously, the kids would be, that would be uh, you know, if we had like a dramatic decrease. If I screwed something up really bad, you know, what I get canceled on Twitter or something, and everybody like hates me now, um, and you know, it, the income dries up. Yeah, that would be awful. That would be mm-hmm. that would be really bad. <laughs> so that, that would be embarrassing. And why? Because it's spills spilling over onto these sort of innocent bystanders. And right. it's like, oh well, you know, I, sorry I screwed up your life. But you know, me personally, like, you know, I lived in a van, I've I've done outward bound. I could live in the woods if I wanted to. I know I don't want to, but there's like a there's a certain like when when I think like as bad as things get they'll probably never be as bad as when I lived in the van when I was in a band and even if they did I'd be kind of cool with it if I wasn't wrecking somebody else's life right but so now that I do have kids I'm like all right that that's too far down like someone would take them away if I was doing that (laughs) but I don't know it's almost like it's almost like um
1: family band
0: yeah right right. we're carnies (laughs) we're carnies now kids what's that I'll show you Um,
1: I mean but that's but that's resilience
0: yeah I think so I think it it really is yeah because if I look back there's no part of my brain that thinks I'll ever have to call it stoop to that level but knowing that I can and what it's like and it's not it's almost like the you know the the worry of it happening is way worse than the reality of what happens yes
1: yes with with women we call that bag lady Fears. What bag lady? Oh, you never heard this? Uh, I can't tell you I can't tell you how many successful women, myself included at one time, have the bag lady fears, which is that everything's gonna dry up and you're gonna wind up old alone a house full a house full of cats if you oh, have cat a, a, a ca- yeah that's yeah. what
0: I, i'm called cat lady right yeah lady, right? but
1: but probably the bag lady the lady you see who's like talks to herself and is mumbling and has all these bags which is homeless right. it's not a house with cats it's homeless right and yeah as they call it bag lady fears yeah it's yeah it's it's pretty common and I, I had them at a couple different times in my life, but what and usually when things were going really well, mm-hmm. it's like oh okay because it could all go away tomorrow. Um, but part of all of that is get it's it's resilience. It's also getting comfortable that if all those external things like your job, um, your bank account, um, what people think of you, those are all external. If those all go away, will you still be okay? Mm-hmm. And when you get comfortable with. Oh yeah. Okay. So I have to live in my two seater convertible. Uh, Okay. (laughs) It's not ideal, but I know I'll figure it out and I'll, and I'll, come up with a way to do better. It's that when you feel that on any level, that's resilience. Yeah. And all of a sudden then, you know, failure, you put it into perspective. And yes, right. there's, you know, there's clearly there's big F failures. We've all had them and they're horrible and you, you don't want to live through them again, mm-hmm. but they ultimately help make you what you are.
0: Yeah. And I, uh, the other thing that I'm thinking here, so like I feel like a big theme here is resilience. A big theme here is... Um, is the self-talk or the story the framing of the situation Mm -hmm. and there's one that i don't i don't think we've really talked about that much but it keeps coming up in my mind so to like articulate it specifically it's like have lots of little failures you know instead of like instead of like betting the farm on (laughs) one big thing and then it blows up in your face and then you are living in a van for six months so it's like it feel it seems like um It strikes me as one of those things like daily writing or something like that, where you're putting yourself out there every day and publishing, 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 not just writing, but actually publishing. Mm -hmm. And it feels like um, a muscle. It seems like one of those things that responds like a muscle. So if you, if you do lots of, yeah, I just see it as experiments. Like I do, everything is just an experiment and, and I get some data and it either, you know, my, my hypothesis is either verified or not. And it's like, all right, that didn't, that didn't work. <laughs> you know, ha, ha, ha. And what's the next thing? As long as I didn't screw up somebody else's life in the process, I could do that all day long.
1: Well, yeah, and I think maybe that's where the question was coming from when they talked about kind of systems. Because mm-hmm. it, in a way, what we're talking about is part of the mindset of an authority, I think. Mm-hmm. If we want to, yeah. like, take it up to the meta. Because... In order to get better and to build authority, we have to keep pushing. Like, if we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, there's no freshness to it. Somebody else is going to come into your space Mm -hmm. and be the the authority because you're stuck. Mm -hmm. So, it's that mindset is yeah, everything's an experiment. um, And, you know, when you publish, it means you run the risk of. Failure in quotes. Yeah. Yeah, failure is, too. yeah, and and failure is. It, it depends on how you think about it. Failure might be you have some you know goon in Twitter <laughs> trying to take you down. Well, who cares? Right. Like, we don't care about them. I mean, yeah, it's annoying, but it's a gnat. Yeah. Um, or you have, you know, you've got an email list of a few thousand people and there's two people who don't like it. Well, guess what? They're not your ideal client, so who cares? Right. Now, if there's 2,000, then maybe something you said didn't make sense and you need to think about it a different way. They're... Therefore, the experiment, and you work with it. Yeah. And in fact, if you found two thousand people who were upset with you, that means you hit a nerve, and yeah. there's something there for you to work with. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that feels like yeah. To get back to George's original question, that that feels like the closest thing I could come up to uh, come up with for an answer f- for in terms of like if I if I look at myself and think like what kind of Systems or strategies or tactics do I use to deal with failure it would be it'd be like those three things like exercise the muscle Don't look at it as failure. Look at it as a learning opportunity. And uh, And what was the first one? Um, (laughs) Resilience Resilience Well, yeah, yeah, the
1: resilience is like the big picture But it's exercise
0: Yeah, have yourself set up to just not be for it to not be catastrophic So like, okay Yeah, so if you so if you like like, yes, if you have a failure that's catastrophic, you can't come back and play again tomorrow. Like, you need no. to do a mate, you're forced into a more or less forced into a pivot or something. So, um, you know, I guess lots of small bets. And uh, and if you're going to make a big bet that could fail, because of course, every, like, if you're yeah. running a your business, like anything could fail. I mean,
1: at any time. I mean, yeah. look at the people whose business disappeared because of COVID. I mean,
0: yeah, it's awful. stuff happens. Right. Right then it's like how do you, it's like, okay, that happened. Are you a failure? No, right. The business failed. That's not the same thing. So if you can I think it maintaining a separation between that to avoid that spiral into potentially into depression, uh, which just makes everything just stop is you know so Whoa. maybe I mean do you do you find cause the support systems phrase really keeps stepping out at, at point jumping out at me because it feels to me like like i i almost feel like he's wondering about support networks like groups of people to talk to or something like that's not my jam you know like i was saying before like you could have talked to see so your blue in your face that was not going to help me feel better about screwing up that podcast recording so i don't operate that way but i know lots of people that, do
1: that see that that would have helped me if it had been mm. me I have a group of three or four people, and they're not a group. They're three or four people individually that I would go to in something like that and say, I just did this stupidest thing, and I feel terrible about it. And they'll say, oh, God, I know. That really sucks. I mean, first of all, they're going to tell me. They understand. They're going to empathize. And then they're going to go, well, I know you won't do it again. And then we move on. And, you know, I that feels good to me if, if I needed a place to to drop it. I mean, what I did when yeah. when it happened, I went out and talked to my husband. I said, right. "Oh, you're not going to believe what just happened." <laughs> mm-hmm. And like, I'm literally slapping my hand against my head, going, "You're not going to believe what we did." <laughs> and you know, and it's just like, yeah, you know, it was embarrassing. That's yeah. you know, but it's like I'm not gonna like not ever record a podcast again. Right. I mean, right. yeah. It's that, I think it's it's finding that support system for what makes sense to you. And for some people, it might be a coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some people, it might be a therapist. Yep. For other people, it's friends. Or, you know, there's a lot of people that have um, groups, um, like whether it's a group, like a, a group coaching or a mastermind or, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the little stuff... Like, I, I probably wouldn't take, like, just using the, the podcast example, I probably wouldn't take that to a group thing because it's just, that's just a one.
0: There's just nothing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I, we all have stuff like that. Like, I don't even want to waste air talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a place where I would go if I like design this big giant course and then crickets, I would mm-hmm. go and say, guys. God, this is what happened. Yeah. What did I do? And but I'd want more advice than empathy. I, it's like I want to hear from a different perspective. How do you see this?
0: Right. You know, yeah, kind of like what yeah, what do, what do you think thing.
1: I did Yeah, what do you think I did wrong is sort of like the question I'm not actually asking, but I really am.
0: Right. Where it's did like, I go wrong this with this? It didn't work the way I thought it was going to. Any idea why? You know, like yeah. help me help me with the postmortem.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. And I see people in coaching that that do you know i don't do client work anymore but but when i did you know i recognized that that these folks in you know these different slack rooms i'm in they'll they'll get into a situation where they screwed something up on a project a client project and they're in a jam and they'll bring it to the group to kind of mm-hmm. say what what you know i'm i don't know what to do here it's almost like the the failure is there has been a failure but the project isn't isn't necessarily doomed yet right Right. But the relationship is in jeopardy. And mm. that's that's a, usually, a, I mean, usually, maybe always communication breakdown, like almost always. Uh, I don't know what else it would be, honestly. I mean, it's it's just communication breakdown. And those and are so, great to
1: talk about, though.
0: Those are great to talk about. Exactly. Right. So because there's tons of emotion, they're still in the situation. And probably the worst thing to do is react emotionally to like some all caps email. Yeah.
1: I've I've shut my computer down and gone off to steam privately on occasion.
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah. So that so there are certain things and I, I, you know, as much as I don't usually bring my situations to other people um i would bring stuff like that you know where yeah. or or like yours where you, where you just it where the answer is just not in your head like you need to be able to see from the outside like the the exact thing you need is outside perspective yeah mm.
1: yeah. yeah we all need it sometimes and you know i think there's a difference i always think about there's certain friends you go to for different things right like if i want somebody to um, pick something apart, like a professional thing, Jonathan, I would go to you. Oh. And, and you won't do it in a mean way. It's like you're not going to be mean to me. You're not going to demean me or my right. stuff. But you're going to say what you think. And I know I'm going to get your true opinion. You're not going to blow smoke at me. Right. I have other friends that are the most amazing cheerleaders and those are the ones where you just like feel bad and you just want somebody to tell you a joke you know <laughs> or just, yeah, just say oh else. Yeah. yeah rochelle you're not a bad person here's a piece <laughs> of chocolate you know so just go to the right friends for the right things uh-huh. it's kind of my point or the right groups for the right things like you might have a, you might be part of a slack channel that would be great for getting, you know, communication input on something and maybe, you know, not so great for others. I mean, I've got a, a Slack channel where somebody was so excited. They sent out their first proposal and it was cool because, you know, they posted it and a whole bunch of people went, Yay, you know, it's a brand new business. It's his first proposal. He needs a cheer. <laughs> he needs a cheerleading squad. Right. That was awesome. So yeah, it's like you got to find the right support from the right people in the right places and and we all know what they are we know who not to go to uh,
0: yeah <laughs> yeah 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 i think that's really really good i hope that's helpful i that's that is that feels super duper true and even even me who has a tendency to to lone wolfishness uh even i am like yeah there's certain situations where nothing beats the right group of people giving their uh sort of outside perspective on whatever the situation is and having and i do have and i uh again even as a lone wolf i've probably got like at least three really active slack rooms of different types of people different groups uh some of them are paid some of them aren't where uh, given a specific kind of situation i'll know exactly i know exactly mm-hmm. who to ask i know exactly who's going to have the right kind of take on this yeah yeah that's yeah cool, that, i think that's good
1: Yeah. It's, you know, support. And it's, it's so funny because support always feels like this negative word, like in professional services firms, when they say support, it's a terrible way of saying administration people, (laughs) right. And it's like support, you know, it's like kind of like looking down your nose um, versus admin people who are really super valuable It's that same idea. Support really is valuable and there is no shame in finding support in wherever it is. You know, that's why you, well, pre, pre-COVID, you'd go out with your pals for a beer. Right. You know, and you, maybe you just talk about sports just to blow off some steam. You don't talk about business or work at all, but it's, you got to find those outlets because otherwise I think little F failures start to feel like big F failures.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah. And there you have it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> but- it's just funny that um, that you said it was it was George. I didn't know who it was. Um, so so George came up with this this question, and we each kind of took it in different directions. But it was just it was really helpful to start thinking about failure.
0: Mm, absolutely, yeah. It's just you don't I, I don't know. I just never think to talk about it. But uh, because one.
1: we've recast, we, we've taken our failures, whether they're a little f or big f or whatever we think they are, we've recast them mm-hmm. as part of what we do, and we've. Um, you know, it's it's. I was trying to think of the word when we were talking before. That I think it's called a tiller, that thing you put on on farmland to like roll the rocks and the dirt around. <laughs> you know, you have to just keep doing that with with your life and your work. And it's mm. just it's all fodder in the end. It's just all fodder.
0: Yep. Great. All right. Well, thanks again for sending in that question, George. If you, dear listener, have a question for us, uh, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, the links are in the show website. Uh, you could just jump over there and hit us with a question or shoot us an email, whatever you want to do. Uh, but yeah, we're always looking for good ideas for episodes, and that was, that was a fun one.
1: Yeah, thanks, George.
0: All right, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for The Business of Authority. Bye.
1: Bye-bye.